Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Today's guest was a romance writer who gave up writing novels for 10 years, romance novels specifically, after her husband left her. But since then, she has been trusting that God has given her new purpose and has returned to the realm of romance, writing new bestsellers. Her books inspire readers to find deeper meaning and purpose in their lives and have been chosen for top picks in romantic times and have won numerous awards. A movie based on her book, Finding Love in Big Sky, just filmed on location in Montana and will air soon. She also writes nonfiction for spirit-led women, and to help aspiring authors, she started Idaho Writers, where she lives in Idaho, and she teaches as an expert online at Write That Book. So, Angela Ruth Strong, it's great to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is an honor. So I'm really thrilled to have a romance writer on the show because we tend to have a lot of uh, thriller writers and suspense writers because I know a lot of them from conferences and, and all of right. that. So maybe today you'll give me some good romantic storytelling advice. Oh, I, I do love the heart, and I love love stories, and you really can't have a good love story without God, because he is love, and just the redemption he offers is something that everybody wants, no matter what kind of story you're reading or writing. You, you know, my buddy um, gave me a hard time because Romantic Times magazine gave a top pick to one of my books. He's like, you're a romance writer. I was like, oh. no, I'm a suspense writer. He's like, no, you're a romance. I was like, oh, man. So funny. Which book was it? Because I want to go read it. Oh, my goodness. I think that one was the, well, they, I think the Rook and the Bishop, maybe. But anyway, okay. they're not really, there's a love story angle in them, but I wouldn't call yes. them, you know. They're more suspense, well, but there is some romance, but... Well, Ted Decker had a book that was considered romantic suspense. So that's the book I read of Ted Decker. So I'll have uh -huh. to go read those of yours. Oh, my goodness. That's fun. So <laughs> what got you started writing love stories in the first place? Well, I've always loved a good love story. I grew up, uh, my mom was a writer, actually, growing up, oh. and she wrote, yeah, she wrote a lot of children's stories. She wrote for um, Sunday school curriculum. So a lot of stories that I enjoyed. And then she tried her hand at romance, and she got close to getting published. And so I was always reading her stories and reading with her and sharing that together. Um, and so I've just kind of continued on with that. She was my first editor and biggest cheerleader, and I just, I love love. No, that's awesome. And so you guys have, you know, within your um, your family, uh, just a, a heritage of stories and storytelling. Yeah, I sold my first article in high school because um, I was a cheerleader and a basketball player ran into me and knocked me into the bleachers and I broke four ribs. What? So I wrote about it. Yeah, and um, I just was like, well, you send it into a magazine. That's what you do, right? Because I've seen my mom do that. And uh -huh. so 
I think I was about 16 and they paid me $100 and I was like, this is the easiest money I've ever made, but oh it, it hasn't been that easy since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's because you haven't broken any more ribs since then. That was the Oh, that was the wounded enough in the yeah. line of your writing work. So, yeah. uh, How about that? Well, that's kind of interesting. So let's, let's think about um, an author. Let's say that he's writing or she's writing any kind of genre, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, I want to add more of a love story. I want to have mm-hmm. more of a tender romance line or whatever like that. Now, I know that you teach, you know, writing and you teach online and, and so on, but what would you say, let's say someone is writing, I don't know, a detective story or something. Mm-hmm. What are some of the elements that you would suggest they, they work into the story to create, you know, a romance angle or subplot? Well, you have to have the conflict. You have to have something keeping them apart. Um, but at the same time, it has to be so obvious that they need to be together. Hmm. Um, and and I find a lot of times the reason, because I'm, I'm very picky about my romance because I write it and I want to learn to write the best that I can. Um, and I I don't appreciate it if it's if the conflict keeping them apart is contrived. Like ah. so often, if well, he was hurt in the past or she was hurt in the past and they're afraid to love again. Hmm. Um, but there, there needs to be like more to that. And I'll just use an example of my favorite from last year. It was um, Before I Called You Mine. And it was a single woman who wanted to adopt, but she had to commit to two years of being single after hmm. her adoption or before she adopted so that she would have time to connect with this child uh-huh. rather than bringing them into the midst of new relationships and dating and all of that. And so in the midst of the two years, while she's waiting for this child that she loves, she meets a man that she loves as well. So I love that kind of conflict because it makes the reader think, what would I do? Like, what would I do in that situation? And then also I, I get triggered by um, – and, and you and uh, Zena were talking about preachy stories a little bit. I get triggered. Yeah, I get triggered when there's a message to it that's just like in your face, and it's like the answer is easy. It has the message has to be hard, and for it to really be powerful, it has to overcome the strongest argument against it. So you have to almost want her. You have to like you have to create the emotion, create the desire, to almost want them to make the wrong choice, so that when they do sacrifice it for something else, the reader feels that. That's pretty interesting. So tell me a little bit more about that idea of actually wanting them. I don't know how you put that, but that was pretty profound. I've never heard it said that way before, but almost wanting them to not get together or something, but then sacrifice to get together. How does that work? Yeah, well, so as a kid, my parents gave me this Focus on the Family book to read about purity and, uh, like, the black moments, the, the... dark story point of the story is he holds up a condom and he's like is it time for this and as a reader i'm like well duh she's gonna say no i mean that's the right choice and who cares Ah. um because there was no i mean you have to have that desire you have to want to go there for it to be a sacrifice to say no and so like i think of books by dm gist who's another romance writer 
and her stories, like you, there was one about purity, but you longed for her to accept this bad, like bad love and rather than no love at all. And um, I, th- I feel like those are the powerful stories because it's hard. It's harder for the reader when they make that sacrifice. Pretty interesting. Um, over the years, I've taught a lot of courses on, on writing, and a lot of them have to do with suspense and tension because that's mainly mm-hmm. what I write. But, but um, there, there's one thing that I said, and you may not agree with this, but I said the secret mm-hmm. to writing uh, great romance is – not to get the two together, but it's romantic mm-hmm. tension, and that is finding believable ways to keep them apart. And so people are like, oh, I think that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it isn't, you know, a lot of people, it seems like writers kind of look for, oh, what's a romantic scene that I could write? A candlelight mm-hmm. dinner, a walk on the seashore, whatever. And so my question is, well, why don't they just get together? Like, what's keeping them apart? And I love how you mentioned that right away. Something has to keep them apart that creates the conflict. I totally agree with that. That is a great quote. I love it. Maybe you should write romance. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with this. (laughs) No, there isn't at all. I just don't feel like an expert um, in the area. But but in truth, every one of the novels I've written over the years has a love story in it. Now, that's not always a romantic love story. Sometimes it's the mm-hmm. love of a father with a daughter. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, there's always some sort of story because I feel like, you know, life is, I don't know, I guess just that all great stories have some element of love in them. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that the ones that kind of resonate with me and, and wait with me the lo- stay with me the longest have that element. Oh, Yeah. Um, which is interesting because you mentioned that I had a book made into a movie, and it's kind of like a Hallmarky movie. Um, so they pretty much took out all the conflict. <laughs> they took out the conflict. Yeah, because Hallmark reader or viewers, they want that happily ever after, and they want those romantic scenes that you were talking about. Hmm. So it was interesting for me to see all of that taken out of my story, and I hope that the movie makes reader or makes viewers want to be like oh that was a good story i want to go read the book and then get a little more adept <laughs> <laughs> well i hope the movie does well that's pretty exciting news that you're yeah. up and filmed and um so that's i mean that's that's fantastic news and i think that it's pretty interesting that you know, I, I th- people come to stories for different reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like if they mm-hmm. come to a horror story, they want to be maybe shocked or, a, you know, a mystery. Right. They want it, curiosity to drive them forward. Who did it? How did they do it? How did they get away with it? And stuff like that. And, you know, some people come to stories because they want a safe experience. They want, yes. you know, to live happily ever after, and they don't want to be offended by by stuff, and that's totally fine. That's legit. I mean, you know, whatever people come to stories for, and so maybe that that genre is. But it sounds like you actually like stories that have love, romance at the center of them, but also that it's not too easy. Yeah, love is messy sometimes. Life mm-hmm. is messy. Though I do have to say, so I I usually don't prefer to watch the movies that are just all sweet fluff, but uh. um. I did go through cancer last year, and oh, after no. my first, yeah, I'm cancer-free now, 
Um, wow. So maybe this is the wound I needed to write more best-selling books. But, um, yeah, I came home after my first chemo treatment, and that's all I wanted. I was like, just turn on, you know, holiday in the wild. That's I don't. Oh, wow. I know it's going to end happy. I just want to lay here and be happy. So I do get that. I mean, different people sure. do have different different desires. Now, what um, I like. The, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh well, I was just going to quote. I know you had um, Lisa Cron on one yeah. of your podcasts, or a couple of them, I think. And I just read one of her books. And so, talking about why people need stories, I just have this quote from her that I love, and it says. Life isn't fair. That's why we need stories to figure out how to deal with all those unfair things that happen so we have the strength and the wisdom to be fair ourselves. Yeah, no, it's really, yeah, over the years, it's been interesting for me to see, you know, the best stories, I think, and the best storytellers, I think, are the ones who are honest about life. Like, um, mm -hmm. You know, like you mentioned, it's painful sometimes. It's confusing at times. It's mysterious and, and grief-filled, but it's also full of, you know, love and passion. And, and it's kind of like this weird paradox of both pain and glory and all of that mixed together makes life. And so, you know, making sense of its stories, I think, do help us with that. And they, they sort of help to frame our experiences, help us through the tough times and you know, one of the things that seems strange, and and I don't know, I'll say it, and it, you may, like, agree or disagree, but, like, I feel like stories sometimes teach us stuff we already know. Like, we know we should love people, that, that mm -hmm. like, relationships are more important than riches or whatever it might be, but yet we don't always live that way. And then well, all of a sudden we read a story, maybe one of your stories or another powerful you know, story, and we're like, we leave the story and we're like, yes, that's right. Relationships matter more than you know, just earning more and more money. And then we knew that, but stories help us believe that. Right. I, I, as a writer, I also like to think of God as the author of life. And so I feel like learning how to write better stories helps me understand him better and his plan for my life or his plot for my life or if you want to term it that way. Um, so one of the things that really helps me and helps me through those hard times is, and I don't know if you've heard this quote, that the darker your black moment, the more powerful your story's resolution. Hmm. So when, I, when I'm having a moment where, like, everything goes wrong and then yeah. it gets worse, I have, I've like pointed at heaven and I'm like, I am on to you. <laughs> like, you are letting me go through this so that I have this powerful story to tell of redemption, of hope, of, you know, overcoming adversity. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, I think you said something about, like, if we see where a story's going, like, if it's too agenda driven or something, it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily invite you in. So, when you're telling a story that is a love story, but an inspirational one, like to point something to point people, readers, and so on to something bigger than just themselves. Actually, how do you do that without feeling like the story becomes too agenda-driven or didactic mm -hmm. or preachy or whatever term you might want to use? It has to feel like the other side's gonna win. And just an example from a story that meant something to me personally. I met this woman who, at the age of fifteen, um. 
And I met, she was baptized like the same day my 15-year-old was baptized. So I see my 15-year-old and then I see her get up there and she's telling about how she was raped at the age of 15. And, and, um, yeah, stabbed in an area where she shouldn't have been able to get pregnant afterwards, but she got pregnant and she decided to keep this baby from her rape because she'd never be able to have more children. And, but because of that, she got into drugs and she was in and out of jail and then in jail, she ends up becoming a Christian and, um, and then she is able to start this whole new life. And she finds the man she loves. They get married. They buy a house. She has a job she loves. He is hit and killed by a hit-and-run driver who was drunk. Um, and the driver gets off of it, claiming he, he didn't know or whatever. And so she sues him, and she gets, like, millions of dollars in a lawsuit. But she's unhappy, and she's using this, this money for more drugs, and she ends up going back into jail. And then, um, and then she realizes she has to forgive. Hmm. And she, she prays this prayer, God, help me forgive this person. And within moments, she runs into a lady who's just brought to the jail who has the same last name as the man who killed her husband. And um, she says, I need to, for, it, she finds out it's his cousin. And she says, I need to forgive your cousin. And she, because of this change in her life, she's released from prison, and she forgives the millions of dollars. And so for me, that was a huge, I mean, this, the idea of forgiveness is like, because I wanted him to have to pay for killing her husband. I wanted her to have that redemption, but it was, it was the idea of forgiveness. And, and she, she had to overcome, like, the worst thing against her. She had to overcome her racist. She had to overcome the man who killed her husband. Those are hard arguments. You have to make the argument against whatever your point is as hard as it can be. I think I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. But, but uh, you just made me think. I was just thinking a lot about this one woman that I met one time who had been abused and um, for many years, and actually her stepfather is now serving 25 years in prison in Kentucky. And so mm-hmm. whenever I met with my friend, this woman, I, I said to her, do you forgive him? And, like, what would that look like? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like pretending right. it didn't happen. It's not denial. That's not forgiveness. It's not just, you know, saying, I'm just going to move on. Like, there's something, I think, more to it than that. And finally, she thought about it for a long time, and she's like, well, it's like I don't hate him anymore. And I was like, that seems like a pretty good answer because she was able to let go of the hatred that she had. And and so she found a sense of freedom from everything that had happened to her. But but it's what I like. I don't like anything about the stories except that what I like about the idea of forgiveness is there's not an easy answer to it. So it can be something dramatic to drape a story around this idea of how do you forgive someone who's done the unforgivable? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And stuff like that. So that could, you know, be the dramatic tension to drive a story. Yeah, yeah. And like so if your if your message is against abortion, you have to have the woman who gets raped who chooses to keep her child. That's not easy. You have to go to the the strongest argument against your point 
and you have to overcome that. That's pretty crazy, yeah. I mean, that's not the advice that you hear every day, but I feel like you have, you know, good insight into into doing that so that people would read your story and be like, yeah, no, I totally see, you know, where they're coming from or where this character is coming from and create almost empathy for, you know, the character's situation before they can find the redemption or resolution that, that uh, you know, readers also probably long for. Yeah, can I can I share one other quote that I really love? Sure. That helps me with whatever, whether it's you know suspense. And I have written one suspense, but usually I'm more on the relational side. Um, and it's from the book How to Write a, a Damn Good Suspense Novel. And he said, <laughs> so so there you go. You might like this one. Um, the villain and the hero are both wounded. The villain hides their wounds with evil while the hero finds healing through self-sacrifice. Hmm. And, and for me, that just really resonated because we can all become heroes or vil- villains at any moment. Hmm. Um, and it just fit with a lot of the stories that I'd watched or seen. Like, have you seen the movie Slight with Denzel Washington? Um, Slight? I don't think so. It's where he lands the airplane upside down. Oh, oh, flight. Oh, okay. Wow, yeah. I can't remember if I saw it, but I heard about it for sure. Yeah, so that was a great – I'm trying to think of an example that of something that you might have seen. Well, even in, like, the movie Cars. <laughs> have you seen Cars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, has, he finds healing through self-sacrifice. Or even, like, you know, Darth Vader. He finds healing through self-sacrifice. And he becomes a hero. The movie National Treasure 2, the bad guy, ends up saving the day by sacrificing himself. We all have that ability to become a villain or a hero. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how, in one of the books that I wrote on writing, I think I said something like, um, the, the less the character sacrifices at the climax, the less the story means. And it's like almost... You know, if, if it's too easy, readers are like, oh, okay, that was too easy. But if it's an actual, like you, you just said, sacrifice, they'd be like, wow, I didn't realize he would or she would give that up or something. Mm-hmm. But, but they feel, the readers hopefully feel at the end that that was the right choice. Yeah, and I think um, Lisa Cron and Story Genius says something kind of like that too. Like you're, the pro- protagonist finds out they, what they want is going to require, let me see what she said. Um, They want two things. They want to achieve their desire and to remain true to their misbelief, but they're mutually exclusive. So they have to choose one or the other. And I I love the whole idea of the misbelief and creating that misbelief, not because they're stupid and they believe something that's wrong, but in the past, that misbelief was cemented into their life by something that actually happened to them. So in your stories, have you ever done that, developed um, a character that you gave or that you discovered had a misbelief from the past? Yeah, and I think they all do to an extent. Hmm. Um, And the more work you put into it and digging deeper and actually creating those, where that belief came from, Hmm. um, the the stronger the story is going to be. So the book that I'm writing right now um, I, I've had a lot of fun with this idea because I have two sisters 
who have opposite misbeliefs. One of them thinks if she does everything right, everything good will happen to her. And the other one thinks no matter if she does, if she works hard and does all the right things, bad stuff is still going to happen to her. Hmm. But I had both their, their misbeliefs come from the same point where um, the sister who thought only bad things would happen, even if she tried hard, She'd been drunk at a party, and she'd called her dad to come pick her up, thinking she was doing the right thing, and her dad gets killed by a drunk driver leaving the party. And so that concreted both their misbeliefs at the same time. So I've had a lot of fun trying to to create those, and especially I like to have whatever my message is, I like to have my characters, like I write romance, which is usually a hero and a heroine, I like Uh to have them on two completely different spectrums. So they have those opposite misbeliefs, and they kind of have to meet in the middle to make it work. Now, I know that you have a book coming out soon called Husband Audition that has to do also with romance, but also it's lighthearted, like some comedy within it. And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about how important humor is in romance stories? And I think it depends on um, the romance and, mm-hmm. and the writer themselves. But I, I err on the side of making jokes in awkward situations, which I think is what makes me not a good suspense writer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I wrote for Harlequin's Love Inspired Suspense Line, and they took out all my jokes, and I was really bummed about that. So I think, took out I think your that's why. Yeah, because they didn't want it to be lighthearted. And so um, for me, having that that lighthearted um, makes it fun, but it can still be deep at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and this, the whole situation for husband auditions is based on a, a list from McCall Magazine in the 1950s. I don't know if you saw it. It was floating around the Internet a little bit about ways uh, to no. catch a husband. Oh, interesting. I want to know what they are, though. Oh, oh, they were crazy, like standing on the corner with a lasso and trying to catch a husband. Wow. And I mean, they, they didn't do extreme like that, but then they had stuff that they really believed back in the 50s, like um, cry softly in a corner. Um, so I wanted to play with the whole idea of how dating has changed through the generations, but how in every generation, we still we still get it wrong. They got it wrong, we got it wrong. But I have a character who decides to try out all the things on that list from the 1950s and try them in modern-day America. So she really does stand on the street corner with a lasso. Um, and I think, I mean, just that in itself, just picturing that is humorous to me. So, so part of my lighthearted comedy comes from crazy situations that I put my characters in. Um, and then the other part, I think, mostly comes from just their thoughts in their head. Like, like mm. I said, I make the jokes at inappropriate times. And so, like in my head, to myself, I'm I'm funny to me, and so that's how <laughs> You're funny to you. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how my characters are as well. No, that's interesting. Um, it sounds kind of uh, you know outlandish or ludicrous or whatever, but I'm sure um, that you know in the story she's like, I've got to try whatever, and I might as well try these. I think that's a great you know premise for a story. Uh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's the so they're filming it for a YouTube show, and oh, wow. so it's yeah, so it's um, a romance between her and the cameraman who never wants to get married while she's looking for a husband. 
Now, um, when you write, you mentioned that you wrote for a suspense, a romantic, uh, sus- Harlequin romance or suspense yeah, line yeah. or something. Yeah, so I was curious, when you write your stories, do you kind of follow mm-hmm. a formula or is every story kind of unique for you? as you you know as you develop it right i i know that some authors have a system and they can work it with every novel i enjoy creativity the whole process i enjoy variety i enjoy trying new things and so um i'm always reading different books on writing and all these authors have different systems and i I kind of pick and choose i'm like ooh, i'm gonna try that this time Ooh, i'm gonna try that um, so, like, James Scott Bell has writing from the middle. So, one book I'll be like, oh, I'm going to write the middle scene first. And then um, Lisa Cron has the whole story genius, which is what I'm trying with um, this book that I'm writing now. But I just have fun with it. I think that if you have a formula, um, you're probably going to be better off. <laughs> but as I said, I went through cancer, and I feel like I don't have to prove myself anymore. Like, I used to feel like, okay, I have to do this. I have to prove myself. And then through cancer, I was just kind of released from that because, like, I could do nothing. And while I was doing nothing, I had the movie deal fall in my lap. I had some other stuff happen, and I was like, I'm not even doing anything. And then I just had so many people love on me, and it was kind of freeing in a way. Like, that broke my misbelief of feeling like I had to earn my love. And so I'm in this place right now. I actually don't have any book deadlines. I have projects I'm working on, but I'm just doing it because I love it. That's fantastic, yeah. And, you know, to come out of a dark, um, you know, circumstance with cancer and so on, to come out with joy and, you know, positive, you know, attitude at the end, that's that's fantastic. And I think, you know, um, stories always have conflict. They always have some sort of tension within them and something at least that the characters we desire for them to get together or whatever it is, but something is getting in the way. Um, and when you write, I was just curious, do you kind of look into your life for ideas or do you just kind of uh, pursue a premise, as you mentioned earlier, and sort of just see where it leads? Um, I probably pursue a premise, but my own life, is mirrored in it. So as I look back at my my books, I can be like, okay, at that time I was struggling with this. Here I'm struggling with that. And I can see my growth through my timeline of novels. That's interesting. I kind of think the same is true for the books I've written over the years that, you know, I've been going through certain questions and so on, and they find their way into my stories. My friend Robert Dagoni is a is another uh, mystery writer and crime writer, and uh, he says this: the characters are not you, but they are of you. The characters mm-hmm. in your stories, and I think, I think that uh, you know that's true. They are of us, our experiences, and so on. And I wanted to get back to one thing you said that it might be better or easier or something like that if you followed a formula. Now, I'm going to say mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case necessarily. Because, yeah. like, you probably know, I wrote a book called Story Trump's Structure, and the whole premise oh, yeah. behind it is to write or, organ- more organically and less, you know, formulaically. So I think that sometimes the formulas maybe kind of handcuff the creativity. That's from 
that's just my perspective. So I feel like yeah. when you write your stories and you try different things out, you know, I think that's a great fresh, you know, approach and, and probably your books have, you know, don't all sound exactly the same to, to readers when they read them. Yeah, I think my agent doesn't like that about me. <laughs> I, I asked on Facebook, I was like, you know, post a meme that, or a, a gif that you think defines me. And my agent posted a video of somebody getting in the cockpit of a plane and then pulling out a How to Fly book. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, there you go. But, but in what you're saying about story trumping structure, I did have one book where I wrote I decided to write the last scene first because I had this yeah. scene in my heart and I wrote it. And then as I was writing the book, that last scene didn't fit anymore. And I mm-hmm. gave it a completely different ending that fit the journey that she was going through. And I think I get more letters about that book than any other book. Like, And I just had somebody tell me yesterday that after she finished that story, she closed it and she just had to sit there and, like, process it. So... Sometimes I get it right. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And the thing is, like, um, what I really appreciate about that story is you were responsive to the story when you wrote it. Like, you started with an idea. Of course, we all start with ideas of whatever that idea might be, a premise, conversation, conflict, whatever. And then we – but you, actually, in that instance, you were like, okay, this is what's honest to the story. I have to go in this way, even though it doesn't – you know, mesh with what I thought when I started. I think that's great. Right. And I think I think it was uh, William Goldman who wrote The Princess Bride who said um, the key to all good endings is to give the audience what it wants but not in the way it expects. So I think if we surprise ourselves sometimes, it's going to also surprise our readers. Yeah. Oh, hey, can I tell you, can I tell you a, a, a writing rule that I made up? Yes. <laughs> this is my favorite writing rule. Um, I call it the nose plays. And I got that from the mo- movie Ocean's 13. Have you seen that one? Mm, I saw Ocean something, 11, 12, yeah. 8, 9, I don't know, something. Yeah. But I didn't think it yeah, was Yeah, there's a bunch of <laughs> I'm big into the he- I'm big into heists. But, so in 13, they give Matt Damon a giant fake nose. Um, and it's just part of it's part of his costume, part of the con, and they put this giant nose on him. And then, like, as the story is going along, they have a snag in their plan, and they're like, oh, no, we're going to have to change the plan. We have to figure out something else that would work. And they ended up using Matt Damon's nose as part of their plan. And they realized, I mean, they hadn't planned that when they gave him the big nose. It was just part of the costume. But then as they had, as the plot changed, they're like, the nose plays, and they all started yelling, the nose plays. And that's, like, my favorite part of any book when I'm writing, and I'm, and I'm like, oh, no, this isn't going where I thought it was going to go. What, what's going to happen now? I have to look back at what I already created, at what I'd already given my characters, whether it was intentional or not, and then use that to make the, the next piece of the story fit. And I love that moment because I'm like, the nose plays, and I get all excited. <laughs> I don't hear people over the years, like I've interviewed, I guess, probably like 150 different writers and storytellers and stuff over the years. And some have the approach where they outline and some have the approach where they write organically. But I've never heard anyone super excited about an outline. Like, 
like they'll outline, they'll say, well, I outline my book. Some people for up to six months, they'll spend outlining and then just three months just piecing the book together like this. So, so, but they'll never have the excitement you just had. <laughs> like when you told me that story, when they say, I can't wait to outline. It's like they'll outline, <laughs> but they don't seem to have that sort of enthusiasm for those moments. And so I'm sure those moments come, but, um, but yeah, over the years I've really sort of found myself landing in, I guess, the organic corner and uh, for some of the reasons that, uh, you know, you just listed. So do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have those moments where you're like, the nose plays? I've never actually said the nose plays. But oh, I will, no, you know, I made that uh, part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I actually do. In fact, um, one of the the goals that I have when I write is to start a scene and never end it how readers expect. So yeah. that's hard. But the scenes where – but also in a way that's honest, right? So that whenever you write it, you're not like, oh, well, that was, you know – I didn't see that coming, but that was completely outlandish and, and unbelievable. No, I want it to be something where they get to the end and they're like, didn't see that coming, but I should have. That makes total sense. That's the trick, and that to me is yeah. fun. And so, yeah. Yeah, working in a plot twist so that they don't see it coming, but when it happens, it totally makes sense. I, sometimes I just like to challenge myself, like, ooh, could I do that? And I, I actually have one romance novel where I was like, could I write a novel where they, they don't kiss? Like I want, and I did. I wrote a romance novel where there was no kissing, not because I'm against kissing, just because I wanted to challenge myself and have fun with it. No, that's, that's fun. Um, there are certain, you know, like the way I look at it, you know, my goal is to always give readers what they want or something better. So if they start a story and they're like, I really want a chase scene, but I don't include a chase scene, but they get to the end and they're like, man, I didn't realize there was no chase scene in that story, but I loved it. So in your case, they might start expecting, oh, well, of course these characters are going to kiss or whatever. It's a romance story. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden they get to the end, they're like, man, they didn't kiss, but that was better than if they had. So... Oh, I love that, yeah. So it's like um, giving readers what they didn't know they want is kind of the way, and I really like the quote that you gave from the author of The Princess Bride because it seems like it's really close to the same mm -hmm. kind of idea. Now, I know that you also teach writers, um, both online, probably in person, whenever the opportunities you know, come up. What what are some of the weaknesses that you notice in the work of aspiring romance writers? Hmm. Well, the whole telling versus showing. I just uh, judged a, a contest, um, and so it's it's interesting to look at beginning writers and see where I was when I started, and then to be able to build them up and um, to be able to point out, okay, right here. Um, show me this. Like, what is she thinking? What is she feeling? Um, chemistry is a big one for me. If there's no chemistry, and it doesn't have to be between a male and a female. It can be friends. Um, it can be brothers. It's just how they play off each other um, and the energy they get together when they're in a room. You have to have that with your characters. They have to kind of be able to understand each other and joke with each other 
or read each other's thoughts in a way that nobody else can. Um, so you can't have you can't have on the nose dialogue. You can't you can't say and she looks so beautiful. I mean that's just annoying. <laughs> you have to like um, like in my hero in this next book, I'm giving him a big nose, not because the nose plays, that has nothing to do with it, it just seems to be where I'm at today, but, um, and she finds it adorable, she loves his giant nose and his beak position, and um, so there has to be, you know, intimate connection between your characters for them to really come alive, and for the reader to have fun with it, because with a romance, it is all about the relationship, it's not, a, there's not a mystery, there's not a dead body, um, there's nobody chasing them, usually. So it is all just about their connection. So I love what you said about chemistry. Let's say that I'm a writer and I'm like, totally want to do that. Are there any ways that you've found helpful for you as you uncover the chemistry between two different uh, characters? Hmm. Well, you always want to know their backstory so that they have, like, inside jokes that um, you kind of let the reader in on. Maybe The reader might not always get it, but if they get it, they're going to feel really smart about getting it. Like, you want to make your reader feel smart if they get it, but not dumb if they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of connecting them in a way with your characters so that they... I feel like I'm getting off the topic here. Um, so if a oh, writer wants fine. to create... <laughs> Thank you. So gracious. Um, yeah, if a writer wants to create characters that connect with each other... Well, let me, let me th- phrase it this way. So I studied some um, screenplay writing techniques, and one of them is to show, like, if your character's sad, you want to really highlight their sadness by contrasting it with happiness all around them. So in the same way to create chemistry, you have to show your characters connecting with each other and contrast that to the way they don't connect as well to those uh, the other people around them. So that, that relationship, that chemistry between the two is really the highlight, and you can see the difference in how they interact. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, when you work on your characters... Um, again, different people have different ways of looking at it, approaches and stuff. Do you look at it like as creating the character or uncovering the character? Um, I, I think I am creating, but I'm always looking around for things to add um, to their characteristics. So um, in the upcoming book I have where the, the sisters have a dad who died, to add more tension, I'm going to have the mom struggle with alcohol. Hmm. Um, so I'd already, like, I'd already created that. But then I had a friend who um, got arrested for a DUI, and she had to do community service. And um, so she was doing community service in a consignment shop, and she hmm. kept bringing me things from the consignment shop that she thought I would like. Like, she kept buying me things at the consignment shop. And so when I see that in real life, I'm like, oh, I'm going to give that to this, this mom character. I'm going to give her a DUI, and she's going to work in a consignment shop, and she's going to keep bringing her daughters 
they're from a consignment shop. So I look around for people in real life who fit the kind of character that I am wanting to create, and then I pick and choose and kind of mash it all together. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I find that when I'm writing, sometimes I try to do that, and the character almost argues with me, and they're like, I would never do that. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I guess you, you wouldn't do that. And then I'm writing, and suddenly they'll say something. I'm like, where did that come from? So, it, uh, <laughs> so people who aren't writers are like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? You're making yeah. it up. Like, I don't know if I'm making it up. It doesn't seem like it. So, well, I, I picture that, like, you know, the scene in Indiana Jones when Harrison Ford is supposed to have the sword fight, and then he just pulls out a gun. Like, I, I can, like, that's what happens to your characters, right? They pull out a gun when you're like, wait, no, you're supposed to have a sword fight. <laughs> that's funny, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you had one closing uh, word or uh, advice or something that you wanted to kind of share with the next generation of writers, specifically, you know, romance, love story writers, what's something that you would share with them to say, look, this is one of the keys to writing a great, you know, love story, maybe something that you haven't heard much before? Hmm. Well, I'm just going to quote Brandon Sanderson, even though he's not a romance writer. Yeah. But I like, I like his idea of how the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. Hmm. And, and so even if you're giving them a happy ending at the end of a story, throughout that, by doing unexpected things and giving them challenges, you're giving the reader questions to think upon for their own life. I think that's, that's good and it's very interesting. Um, is the idea that we're not here necessarily to get them to think the same as we do, but we're to maybe ask big questions is is a good good thing to think about for sure. I, I know I feel that when I've watched a movie or read a book and it stays with me for days. It's not yeah. because I'm thinking about the characters. It's about I'm putting myself in the character's place. Like what would I have done? Or how does this affect my life? And so I want to be able to offer that to readers. Well, that's fantastic. And I actually just noticed that it's like our time is almost up. Angela Ruth Strong has been my guest today. And Angela, this has really been fascinating. I love your passion, also humor, and just your insights into writing that you were able to share with us today. Well, thank you so much. I love talking with you, and I love listening to all your guests. They're great. <laughs> well, thanks for saying that. Now, I want people to connect with you online and to check out your books. So first of all, let us know where's the best place online to either maybe find out when you're teaching another class or when you might be doing a book signing, anything along those lines. My website is www.angelaruthstrong.com. Um, I have a newsletter people can sign up. But I also have a really great Facebook group, and I know some people don't enjoy that as much, but the people on my Facebook group, they help me. Like with my husband auditions book that's coming up, and I had that list. I wasn't allowed to use the actual list from the magazine. I had to come up with my own. And so this group of readers, they help me do stuff like that, and we just have so much fun together. So that's where I really enjoy connecting with people. That's great. So on Facebook, they can find you, and they can join that group. Yes. 
be part of it, follow, and you're really, uh, sounds like you're super engaged with that group of people um, on there. And then your website, are there any other places online where you're like um, Instagram or Twitter or anything? Oh, you ought to follow me here. Yeah, I'm trying to get more involved on uh, Instagram, and I'm playing with TikTok, so I feel like oh, I'm wow. just embarrassing myself. <laughs> so, yeah, just, just come to my website. We'll start there, and then if I don't scare you away, you can check out other places. That sounds good. Yeah, TikTok for me, I'm like way too old for TikTok, I think. That's probably, uh, that would be frightening for sure. But, um, but Angela, no, this has been really fun. I've really enjoyed um to pick your brain a little bit about writing and romance and stories and so I appreciate appreciate your time so much um, l- let me ask one more question if people have never read your stories before where would what's the best one to start with is it your new one the upcoming one husband audition or is there another one where you'd say hey you should start with this book right away and check this one out um, if they enjoy series, my Finding Love in Big Sky, that's going to be made into a movie. There's a whole series of five brothers with sweet romances. Um, if they prefer standalone, I would say Husband Auditions, which comes out next month. Perfect. Well, great. And um, I'd like to take just a moment and thank all of our listeners. Uh, for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe, and you'll receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, and always remember... The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.